Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hi there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evening on RTE Radio 1. My name is Dusty Rose. You're welcome to show number 903 here to discuss uh, the news of the week, uh, including Facebook uh, making loads of money, though not as much as you might think. Uh, Spotify, of course, making all the headlines uh, and Ireland's digital strategy as well. It's our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Niall, let's start off with the digital strategy. Is this good news for the country? Uh, it's very good news if, if you're into taking the long view. I mean, 2030 seems to be the the year where everything comes together. Um, so I'll just, I'll just give you the high points of it. Um, apparently by 2028, everybody is to have access to gigabit broadband. Um, it's quite nice. Uh, by 2030, 80% of the population will have at least basic digital skills. So will at least be able to know their way around a computer, surf the net, use VoIP, etc. Uh, 90% of public services mm-hmm. are to be consumed or can be consumable by 2030. That's yep. 90%. Uh, 90% of small and medium-sized businesses uh, will have access to grants to sort of uh, manage their digital transformation. So if you don't have a shop front, for example, which is something that an awful lot of small companies really fell prey to over the, uh, the pandemic, that companies that weren't able to trade online just just vanished. They, they weren't able to keep going. Uh, some very high profile examples in, uh, in Dublin recently as well. Um, so 75% of enterprises are expected to have some sort of cloud uptake or interest in AI and big data. Uh, we are to have a national cybersecurity strategy to protect everybody. Uh, and more resources for the National Cyber Security Centre because it wasn't embarrassing at all last mm. year what happened with the HSE. And a couple of uh, slightly vague sounding things, but kind of, kind of good at the same time. Ensuring um, a modern and well-resourced regulatory framework. That's nice. Who we're going to regulate and how mm. strictly we're going to do it might be something else. And lastly, playing a leading role in Europe right across the digital agenda, which sounds a little bit like fluffy thinking really it sounds like a nice thing to to say nobody's going to say hey we don't want to be at the forefront of europe but it's it's a, a little vague in and of itself so your your initial response uh, my initial response to that is that uh, i think all of this is a eu plan and ireland are kind of going yep we're going to go with that as best we can making us one of the leading proponents of digital in europe <laughs> Well, do you know what? The digital single market idea has been around with us for quite a while. And, um, you know, having the infrastructure in place is is pretty much a a big part of that. I mean, having the the network in place, having a network target, you know, well, what did I say? 90%. um, 90% of the the country would, did you say, be covered by gigabit or everywhere would be covered by gigabit network by 2028, Um, which is only six years away. Only six years away and 5G for everybody by 2030. Now, to me, 5G for everybody isn't that big a deal because for me, 4G is doing the job at the moment, Mm. unless some applications come along between now and 2030 that make it, you know, absolutely necessary or there are some developments in IoT or robotics or something like that. Mm. So it's probably a little bit of future proofing at the moment. It's not sort of thing people are clamoring for right now, Mm. whereas ubiquitous 
broadband is, you know, something people have been going nuts for for, for years, for as mm. long as we've been doing the show. Mm. Uh, and it's also very interesting to see the target uh, for broadband connectivity go up and up and up over the years. I mean, the first national broadband we 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 covered back in two thousand five or whatever it was. Oh, please up don't to remind seven, me. Oh. Seven megs, seven yeah. megabits per second. Then uh, you know the schools one in recent years went up Maybe. to I think it was forty, mm. uh, and now we're talking about big gigabit connections. But I don't think lately, as in the last three, four, maybe even five years, certainly in the last three years, it hasn't been about bandwidth or the amount of data that you can push through at any given time, because we seem to have plenty. All right. Mm. It seems to be able to cover a couple of people watching Netflix, which is, you know, probably the big suck on your on your system. Uh, it does Facebook, social media, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. So I don't think we're looking at quantity anymore. I think what we're looking at now, and especially with 5G, is speed. Because you need stuff to work in nanoseconds. Mm, yeah, yeah. And that's probably where they are going. Do you know what? I think um, I think the two things that stood out with me with uh, the Irish digital strategy is that, number one, 90% of public services will be online by 2030 mm-hmm. because that is the government leading the way. And you know what a pain in the butt it can be de- dealing with public services. Whichever one it is, it's doing, if you can do it online with whatever... Amazing. Look at us all now with our passports and our driving licenses and doing all that kind of online. It's brilliant. More of that. Absolutely, I think is great. Um, and the other thing that I think uh, is uh, interesting, we haven't mentioned it, was the new working, uh, remote working hubs. Yes, the hubs, a fantastic idea because, mm. you know, some of the co-working spaces are actually quite expensive uh, at the moment. So to think that we've got, we will have state subsidised uh, competition in that area is great. Well, I don't know if they said state subsidised, but they just said that there will be more uh, remote working hubs. And I think especially outside of the main uh, urban areas. So mm, like, I don't yeah. know if there is one in Mullingar, but there should certainly be several in Mullingar. Do you know what I mean? If, if there's a small yeah. village, every village should have a pub, a post office and a remote working hub. Somewhere you can get see. out of the house and away from the damn kids. I don't see why that why that should be an issue or an ask. I think I there think that's go. pretty reasonable. Right, uh, that's good. Uh, or two other stories dominating the news this week. We'll skip through them very quickly before we get to our interview this week. Spotify uh, versus. Neil Young, the world, it appears. <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan has been uh, shooting his mouth off about COVID, putting information out there, things that are just blatantly not true. Uh, Spotify is getting into trouble for it. You think that they shouldn't be in trouble for it. I think they should. Okay, right. Yeah, that's a slight over- oversimplification of the problem, but here we go. Uh, the Cliff Notes version. Last year, Spotify decided it was really getting into podcasts. It signed a distribution deal with Joe Rogan for $100 million. So they don't get to dictate the content or anything in his show. It's strictly distribution. So if you want Joe Rogan, you can only go to Spotify. You can't go to Apple. Okay. Joe Rogan's style is very conversational. He's a stand up comedian. He's an MMA color commentator. He's not a, an authority on anything. So the idea is that his show is just a conversation with somebody to draw out their ideas and they talk about it. Uh, the problem is that Rogan isn't terribly uh, knowledgeable in an awful lot of areas. So he lets other people guide the conversation when maybe he, sh- when maybe he shouldn't. Um, and as part of that, he's had, you know, conspiracy theorists, flat earthers, all sorts of people on the show that, yeah, it's nice to hear what they have to say but 
you know, a lot of the time what they say is of no consequence. You know, you can say, oh, the earth is flat. Okay, so so what? You know, let, let him off to his ideas. However, when you're dealing with an emerging situation like COVID-19 and you have somebody on saying, do you know what, it's very important to get vaccinated. And you have Joe Rogan saying, do you know what, if you're young and you eat well and you're healthy, you don't need to get vaccinated. You'll be fine if you get covid you'll be okay. It's like, no, you you don't understand it. It's not about you getting it necessary. It's about you passing it on to other people. You know, little sort of lapses in logic that he lets slide during the show. And as a result, he has exposed an awful lot of people to misinformation in COVID because he doesn't know how to challenge bad ideas when they come along. And he ends up amplifying these ideas. Okay. Hand in the air, Dusty. So that is what has happened, okay? The question mm. is, where does the responsibility lie? Because now you have lots of musicians and other podcasters are saying we're pulling our material off uh, Spotify until this is uh, resolved. You don't think Spotify should answer to this. I think they should. State mm. your case. Okay, right. So let, let's look at who's gone. It's Joni Mitchell. It's Neil Young. It's uh, Megan and Harry have expressed reservations. Uh, there's somebody else, uh, uh, another podcaster on their platform has said she won't make any podcast cast further no- until further notice. Um, so there's been criticism on to the likes of who the hell is Neil Young on Twitter. <laughs> Seen quite a bit of that. Um, so, you know, it's a, there's an element of, oh, another boomer is having a fish. Off they go. Thanks. Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, the argument from Spotify, we are a platform, not a publisher. If you want to go on our platform, Okay, we are, we do have a moderation team in place, and mm-hmm. they've said that they've removed like twenty thousand podcasts. And Rogan, I think himself, has lost forty two episodes. So you know they haven't taken everything wholesale, and they've said, okay, we're publishing our moderation standards on COVID. We're putting together a COVID information hub if you want to follow this stuff up. So um, to me, they've signed a distribution deal. They are not directly responsible for the content, although they are stepping in to make sure that some of the content is up there, is stuff that potentially they are happy standing beside. And for things they're not happy with, they're providing the alternative. You disagree. Because Spotify are paying for the production of that show and it is solely hosted on their platform. Well, solely hosted on their platform, but they don't actually pay for the show. It's a licensing deal. They have to take some responsibility if they're paying for. I know there's a difference between licensing and all that kind of stuff. But if Mm -hmm. they are the ones, I mean, we do this with 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 RTE all the time. Right. Uh, In that they will license the programs that we make and they broadcast them. All right. But essentially, we have to follow RTE's guidelines and, and do exactly what they say because they are paying for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm, um, it's yeah. just been kind of in our interest. It's not in our interest to give them the program lock, stock and barrel so that they own the copyright or they take ownership of it. We license mm. it to them, but they are paying for us to make various programs that we make for them. So, you know, kind of th- they're calling the shots and it would be the same in Spotify's case. Spotify are pretty much paying solely for the Joe Rogan show and they are hosting it solely on their platform. Okay, well, here's where the rubber will meet the road on this. And I I will just clarify Mm. my thinking process in that this is very specific to the Joe Rogan show. For Mm. any podcast of the many that we do, we put them all onto Spotify, okay? Mm. Uh, One of our clients wants to be pulled off Spotify this week because of this and whatever. I tried to talk them out of it because I said, you know, Neil Young, Joe Rogan, Spotify won't care. (laughs) Whereas Mm. you're going to lose all your Spotify listeners. Mm. Um, Well, here's the thing, right? We have never been approached by any platform or sponsor we've, we've dealt with to say, you know, would you tone it down? 
would you change the format? Would you, you know, not mention this? Um, you know, uh, that we've never been approached mm. to have our content changed. Uh, because our content to- is our content, all right? Yeah. Um, we yeah. use Spotify as a platform to distribute. We use Apple as a platform to distribute. We use, you know, whatever, Google and, and, and Amazon and all the smart speakers and all that kind of stuff. They're all just platforms to us. And it's, yeah. and it's our responsibility, whatever content. And I don't think any of the platforms should be responsible for the content we make, whether it's right or whether it's wrong. It's just Spotify in this particular case, because they're paying the bill for Joe Rogan, I think mm-hmm. are held responsible even though they're trying to go. Eh. Yeah, I, th- I think the public consciousness here, uh, I, I, mm. I think the, the force is with you on, on that one. And it, it is another Section 230 problem um, that, you know, platform v. publisher, it's what's, it's what's you know, preserving Facebook and, uh, you know, discussion forums in general. It's, it's the exact same debate, uh, mm. albeit there isn't a $100 million podcaster behind it. But yeah. what's interesting is that Rogan did issue uh, a semi-apology um, through Instagram, which was basically, I'm sorry I upset people, or I am sorry, no, I'm sorry you are upset I'm sorry people are annoyed. You know, it's, it's, you know, one of these sort of typical lukewarm, not really a non-apology apology kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, he's not going to change his show, uh, which is, you know, it's his format. It's what Spotify bought. It's what they bought into. Um, whether he will take a lesson in being a little bit more rigorous in the guests he has on and his ability to challenge them. Uh, is something else. No, do you know what? A little prudent editing would help. He shouldn't change his, his style. He shouldn't change his, his type of guest that he has on because that's what makes it unique and that's what makes it interesting to listen to. All right. And a lot mm. of people will listen to it maybe with a pinch of salt. A lot of people will believe every word. It doesn't matter. All right. Um, but particularly with this, because it's such a global issue with COVID, a little prudent editing, like we see it on Have I Got News For You and all of the big TV shows, they all say, well, the lawyers are in the background. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe yeah. they should just have a lawyer in the background for this particular issue. Do you know? D- yeah. Just in, in, in that one particular case, I think it just kind of makes it a, a little bit different. But anyway, that's that's going to roll on and on. Even the White House were getting involved the other day and yeah. kind of saying that they approved Spotify's move to whatever, publish their guidelines, yada, yada, yada. But as you say, it's the same old, same old route, platform or publisher. Uh, in this case, I'm going to go publisher. You're going to stick a platform. Uh, now, speaking of platforms, Facebook, Meta have been uh, mm. announcing some uh, of the money that they've been making. How much of our money is going to Facebook? Well, the money that they haven't been making. Um, I know there's there's a, a, a little bit of schadenfreude here because we know that um, tech companies, they rely on this sort of myth of growth. That, you know, it all, it almost doesn't matter how much money isn't coming in so long as your, your user base is still growing. And Facebook has managed to sort of keep the balance between, you know, money coming in and their, uh, their audience growing. However, there's an awful lot of competitors coming in now, like TikTok, that have sort of tapped into that younger zeitgeist. So uh, in their most recent quarterly reports... Mesh has said that our the user base has actually dropped a little bit from 1.929 billion uh, for the th- first three months of December down to 1.93 billion from the previous quarter. Okay, so they're down ever so slightly. They're down a million, but it's um, I think that's a crack in the dam, if you will. As soon as Facebook starts losing its cultural significance. 
I think they're going to be in an awful lot of trouble. Do you agree? I don't think that's enough to say that they are losing their cultural significance. I don't even think it is a crack in the dam. Uh, I think if that was happening two quarters in a row, okay, then you've got something. All right. If they had a year where they plateaued and be, and it was growing, that would be major. Hmm. And that's the kind of thing that would probably tip it over. And it was, ah, Facebook's a bit old and it can't be trusted and da, 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 and whatever and so on and so forth. Or everybody's good to Instagram instead of Facebook, which is one of their brands anyway. Hmm. Um. So, no, I don't think um, the numbers are... And the other thing about the financial report from when I read the article the other day, a lot of this is that they missed expectations. So they were expecting, say, 2 billion whatevers, uh, and they only got 1.9 billion. All right? Yeah. But that's an expectation, is a made-up number. The Mm 1.9 billion is what they actually did. Uh, I'll tell you the one thing that actually, I won't say freaks me out, Well, I think it's just downright disgusting. Okay. Is that Facebook made a profit margin of 33%. Wow. So of all the money they got in, 66% was to run the company and the other 33% was just pure profit. I think most businesses would be delighted with that. Of course they would. But I just think that is when you know, I think, that you are being fleeced. All right. Now, I have absolutely nothing against somebody making a whole ton of money for themselves. OK. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, if Mark Zuckerberg was a, a, a billion trillionaire or whatever it happens to be, and it was because he was making one euro out of all of the billions of people who are, who are on his site. OK, well, that's fine. You know, it's a small mm. bit, you know, it's a profit margin of 5%. And if, if it makes up to trillions and trillions of dollars. So it's not the actual amount of money that I'm concerned with. I'm, it's the percentage. 33%, a full third of everything that they make is profit. Mm. All yeah. right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's crazy. I think it's so, crazy. Uh, I guess that sort of debunks their commercial model then. If, you know, if adver- that sort of implies that people per- are spending money yeah. on ads yeah. and not getting any return on them. Uh, or does it? it? Well, now you see, there's the other thing is that people now have to spend more because one of the things that has really hurt Facebook this year is the new regulations with Apple. So, of course, you know, they're not getting the, the tracking information from Apple users that they once were. So they're mm. not able to target Apple users the way they once were, which means you've got to, you know, spray and pray a lot more, which costs a lot more for advertisers. And that's hurting them. It really is hurting them. Does that, as I was sort of saying, does that imply that people are spending money and it's going, you know, they're not getting a return or it's going into a black hole or it's purely speculative uh, spending and more people are, are trying that that sort of spray and pray model, as as you said yourself. But I mean, let's look at where the money is going. It's not it's not going into Mark Zuckerberg's pockets. You know, no, no, is, I've, I've, I've no problem. I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at Mark Zuckerberg no. or any of his other executives who I'm sure are all very well paid. And I'm not mm-hmm. pointing at the, at the cost of running the service or, da-da, or whatever, right? It's just, it's a 33% margin. That's mm. phenomenal. All right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know... My, my interest with the, with results like that is well, where is the money going? And Facebook apparently they've committed ten billion already to the metaverse, to this thing that doesn't yeah. exist for most of us. Will require Ooh. buying a, a, a headset. Oh, 
the metaverse is becoming very real. Okay, right. Oh, lots of big tech companies are getting into that and Wall Street is looking at it and you can now purchase parts of or plots of the metaverse and stuff like that. And this is not just coming from Facebook. This is coming from many, many different uh, uh, ways. It's, it's very much becoming a thing. In fact... Like in, plots in it? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how, why or... Beyond me, all right? I don't now, understand. Now, this the same as like buying a URL, only it's a space on the it metaverse. It could very well be something like buying a URL. The other thing in the back of my head, now I know nothing about it, all right? So this is just a hunch, right? Mm. We could be at a stage uh, where some people were in 2010 with, ah, I bought some Bitcoin. <laughs> I had yeah. ten, a $10. I said, ah, sure, I'll buy a few of them. <laughs> yeah, we're into property speculation on well, the metaverse. Maybe. And what the metaverse is going to be, I don't know. But if you think about it, the metaverse sounds like something where humanity does want to go. Mm. Uh, there's people that I know live far, far away. We've got the whole health thing with COVID, which has kind of changed things a lot recently. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If you can actually put on some kind of, you know, goggles or a hood or go into a room or have a particular setup or whatever in the house where it feels more like uh, you're with people, mm. uh, that could be a better way of doing things. I was talking to somebody who is um, very involved in uh, in AI tech and um, and and stuff like that. Uh, but they were saying that they do their meetings now in uh, in virtual rooms. And essentially, they're all, the, they put on the, the goggles and they're all sitting around a table and they can see each other's avatars. And the big difference is that you can see if somebody is sitting back and mm. looking bored or if they're distracted looking off somewhere else or if they're putting their hand up that they want to talk or if mm. they're fiddling with their hands, all that kind of stuff. Like you can see it. And it makes a huge difference to the whole virtual situation. If they develop the metaverse to bring that out into some kind of thing that's accessible widely, that could be amazing. And I'm talking about these things because I'm thinking of Steve Jobs. Oh, one more thing. What what if you had, you know, uh, an iPod and a phone? It's called the iPhone. That changed. (laughs) That changed everything. All right. And now COVID has come along. All right. And people are kind of going, I don't want to be touching keypads with my thing. Uh, I've had contacts as payments and all that kind of stuff. Now everybody's using a damn phone or contacts payments. Pay for everything. Cash is almost gone. You know, so that's a huge change. Something will happen in the next 10 years where the metaverse will allow people to have more human interactions with people who are not actually with you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And if you buy into that now, all right, you could be very, very rich in in time. Now, I don't know how you do it, but it's it's like even if, look, if you had a hundred quid, do you know what I mean? It's like walking into bookies and saying, I'm going to put a hundred quid on that horse, except the horse race is going to start now and it ends in 10 years time. (laughs) So you won't know if you won or lost or whatever, like, you know, but that's that's my thinking. Hmm. Very well. I I shall go in and start buying up lots of plots in the metaverse (laughs) and renting them out. (laughs) Listen, uh, a couple of other little stories um, uh, aside from those. Oh, speaking of Apple, actually, here's a thing that I noticed and I found the answer to it during the week. Uh, I don't know, do you ever log into uh, iTunes or Apple or anything like that and they give you a two-factor authentication code that Mm, they text to you, all right? And Mm. normally, hang on, I'll just uh, have a look at my phone. uh, here's one. So it'll say, you know, kind of a, your Apple ID code is blah, 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 blah. Don't share it with anyone. <gasps> mm-hmm. um, and then lately, since November, for me anyway, uh, I've been getting a little extra 
because it will say don't share with anyone. And then after that, I get an at symbol with apple.com. Uh, I get a hashtag with a number after it. And then I get um, uh, uh, what's called a percentage uh, symbol mm. with apple.com. I was kind of wondering mm. what they were. So I did a bit of digging and looking into it. And apparently what it is, is that's a tag that Apple now add on to the text to say who requested the code. Oh. Okay, so now I'm getting it from Apple.com or AppleCop. That, that's fine, right? But if I ever get one of those texts and it says at Spammer.com, ta-da! Oh, okay. That's, that's kind interesting. Of, uh, that was interesting. And then the other thing about Apple, I think this is brilliant. I was just talking about COVID and everybody using contactless payments. There's rumours that Apple phones will soon be able to accept contactless payments. So if I wanted to give you money over NFC, yep, I can do that. Yes, exactly. Isn't that brilliant? Such a small little gen- I know we can do it with uh, Revolut and stuff like that at the moment, but yeah. you still got to find the phone number and put it in and send and da da da. You literally just kind of tap like you're high-fiving somebody. Hey, there's your tenor. Yeah. Boom. That'll be interesting. Uh, speaking of digital currencies, uh, there is word of India getting into not yeah. Bitcoin, but it's certainly a digital currency, yeah? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a digital rupee. Um, I, d- I don't know what the actual term they're going to use on it. Mm. But um, yeah, so the Indian government is getting into blockchain, a dedicated digital currency for the digital uh, economy, for digital transactions. Um, it's uh, going to be bla- based on blockchain. So it is a, a kind of cryptocurrency. Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, we, we've seen Venezuela, Venezuela, El Salvador adopt Bitcoin. Uh, the IMF has been asking them, please don't do that. <laughs> it's really going to mess things up. Um, but they, they're keeping it. Um, so, yeah, I don't see why not. So long as these things are regulated by a central bank, uh, which makes them stable coins, um, as opposed to just regular cryptocurrencies. Uh, nice. Thank you for calling, I guess. What do you think? <laughs> Uh, I think it's interesting. We've got more and more governments that are getting interested in digital currencies. I think that's where it's going to go in the uh, in the long run. Uh, uh, who is it? Ecuador? No, El Salvador. El Salvador. Uh, yeah. Doing it at the minute. I know India. India are actually very interested in it as a country because they're talking about banning Bitcoin altogether. Mm, yeah, which yeah. is the first move a government wants to make before they introduce their own. <laughs> <Ta-da>! Yeah, <laughs> that's that's it. That's it. The the only trouble uh, is. What way do you handle it from a mining perspective? Because as we all know, I mean, Bitcoin is tremendously energy inefficient. I mean, there's as much energy wasted mining Bitcoin in a year as there is in running Argentina. (laughs) And Argentina is not a small country. It's not a small country. So that's an awful lot of wasted energy used by, you know, fairly remote data centers in China powered by fossil fuels. It's not. It's not a good situation. So no. hopefully there will be a solution uh, in place for the digital rupee or whatever they end up uh, calling it. Whether there will be a, a finite amount of them or whether they will be a, a fiat currency or whatever. We'll wait. We'll wait and see. Interesting developments. Anyways, we go along. Listen, that is uh, all the news as always. Niall, uh, thank you for keeping us bang up to date. Magnet Plus is a new name, and we've a radically new approach to connecting businesses. Let's start with long-term contracts. We've shredded them. You're not tied into a contract. With 30 days' notice, you can leave. Our job is to make sure you never want to. So Magnet Plus promises incredible service as standard. 
our people will never let yours down. And with Contract Freedom Business Broadband, you're never tied down. Discover what else Magnet Plus can do differently for your business at magnetplus.ie. Terms and conditions apply. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. New technologies like robotics and 3D printing are opening up new possibilities to manufacturing, but how can companies adopt them without the necessary skills? Dr. Michael McGrath is Director of Technology at the new Advanced Manufacturing Training Centre of Excellence in Dundalk, and he spoke with Niall Kitson during the week about the need to reskill, upskill, and educate when it comes to emerging technology. Looking at any sort of massive project or creative endeavour over the last two years has been very much a a case of can we or can't we and who can we actually get in and is the idea strong enough to uh, execute now or can it wait until conditions are slightly more favourable? In the case of where you are at the moment at the Advanced Centre for Technology, uh, uh, for the Advanced Technology Centre of Excellence, Where did the uh, genesis of the project come from? Because usually when one hears about these things, it's sort of an academic and industry collaboration, but that's not necessarily the case here. Well, I suppose the genesis really comes from, uh, I suppose, the importance of manufacturing uh, within the context of the Irish economy. Um, manufacturing, I suppose, it, it supports about 260,000 direct jobs in Ireland and about 200,000 indirect jobs. And it's, a you know, manufacturing is about 34% of, of GDP. So it's a hugely important part of the economy. And also what's interesting about manufacturing as well is that 85% of those jobs are outside of Dublin. So they have a very significant impact on the rural economy. So for example, in uh, some of the border counties like Cavan and Monaghan, one in four jobs uh, in the private sector is related to manufacturing. Now, manufacturing as a, as a sector is undergoing a significant transition with the advent of Industry 4.0. So essentially, Industry 4.0 in, in simple terms is about <clears throat> the move towards data-driven manufacturing enabled through connectivity. Okay, And what that means, though, is that we need new skills and new capabilities within, within, within the manufacturing sector. And that involves, I suppose, two streams. One is to upskill and reskill people who are in existing employment in order to provide them with the hands-on skills in the technologies that will underpin the adoption and utilization of Industry 4.0. And secondly, it's about generating a new pipeline of talent to bring into, into this sector. And that's through apprenticeships and traineeships. And it's also about, I suppose, stimulating interest in advanced manufacturing as a career path. And, and in doing so, it's actually I suppose educating second level um, learners about the opportunities and career paths that are available within within manufacturing. And I suppose those those, those elements collectively is the genesis for why the Advanced Manufacturing uh, Centre of Excellence has been established and what its role and focus is on. And I suppose in very simple terms, our mission really is to, I suppose, increase what we call the technology IQ of the Irish man- manufacturing workforce in order that Irish manufacturing can in- increase their in- levels of innovation and productivity and lo- uh, to allow them to become more globally uh, competitive. 
I suppose part of fulfilling that mission statement is naturally enough to get the right people in positions. And you yourself have quite an interesting career history. So uh, it hasn't been, a, a how would you say, not an eclectic path to your current position as director of technology. So it takes a little bit uh, through your experience. So, yes, um, I suppose I come from a mixed discipline uh, background myself. So, a combination of you know, science, um, computing, project management, and, uh, and and so forth. And I suppose that actually positions me, uh, you know, in, in, I suppose, a relatively strong position going into this, in, in this particular sector, because... Um, Advanced manufacturing is underpinned by a, vi- a wide variety of, t- of technology. So it's important to have, I suppose, a broad technical background and then to be able to d- dive d- deeply into the various, um, you know, verticals within, within that sector. So it's, you know, th- as, you, uh, as you will be aware, that the sector comprises of food and drink, engineering, me- uh, me- med- medical devices, pharma, chemicals, um, construction materials, and and so forth. So again, it's having that sort of a technical background and also having a strong, I suppose, industry or uh, background as well is, is, is important for the role. And of course, you've got experience in project management as well. So how did you find that? Did you find your inner PM sort of looking at the at the center and going, yep, this is actually being really well run? Or do you know what, if I was to get in there, I would do X, Y, Z, and we'd really have something. Well, in actual fact, I actually came uh, came on board into the project uh, at the beginning of last year, and essentially we were in a start a startup phase. So there is, I suppose, it's basically the opportunity is to get your hands around an exciting project and to actually shape that project and drive it in uh, a direction which you believe is going to have you know the maximum benefit uh, and impact for. Um, the, the, I suppose the country, and also for you know learners in in terms of providing them with interesting career opportunity career opportunities through uh, training in in advanced manufacturing. You mentioned their uh, sort of uh, internships and traineeships. Um, uh, can you just take us through the different offerings that you have because there is an important difference there. There is indeed. So uh, our focus. Actually, we have two key focus areas uh, from, a, from, a, from, from a training perspective. One is that we support um, people who are already in employment. And there we deliver courses in <clears throat> technology uh, areas that are related to industry 4.0 adoption and, and, and utilization. So it's about, I suppose, providing those career path development opportunities as, uh, and acquiring new skills, as I say, for people who are in existing employment. And that training is supported by um, funding through SOLAS, through a, a program called Skills to Advance. So essentially, companies and their employees get highly subsidized training provided by the Irish state. Our second cohort that we look at is, as I say, is in the area of traineeships and apprenticeships. The focus there is about developing a new talent pipeline in order to address the future needs of manufacturing within within Ireland. There, and I suppose in in that particular stream, it's about, I suppose, educating at a a first level about what the opportunities are, what the careers are, how they, you know, 
how valuable and th- those career opportunities can be, how well paid they are, and you know how they can embrace, I suppose, in the lifelong learning and develop their career um, of the course of their uh, working life. Um, it's also about engaging with companies in order to take apprentices on and 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 so forth. And it's also, I suppose, about evolving uh, apprenticeships as as well to bring them into uh, the twenty first century in terms of delivery and uh, the types of training, the training that they get as part of their traineeship or their apprenticeship. So then in looking at sort of the educational environment that's there at the moment, you've by necessity, you've had to adopt a sort of a blended learning approach or indeed an entirely online approach in some cases. So it begs the question, you know, how big are classes that you'll be dealing with? Is it it a case of students will have, um, you know, a very close relationship to their lecturers or is it going to be quite large scale with, you know, a big international contingent uh, aimed at sort of a much broader audience? So in terms of our classes, um, if we look at, at, I suppose, the training that is geared towards um, people who are in employment, um, you know, where the focus is on upskilling and reskilling, those courses are typically of a one to five day uh, duration. So, you know, they're relatively short. And um, so, and again, the emphasis on high quality, practical skills, skills oriented, oriented training with um, with state of the art um, equipment, and also to build on that training by providing progression paths. So connecting different courses together in order to, I suppose, to develop an individual uh, over a period of months or years and to help them to progress their their career within within the sector. Um, Obviously, with a traineeship and an apprenticeship, that level of engagement is much longer. And I suppose uh, we have a a, a much higher touch because a a traineeship will typically be of a 48 uh, week duration and they will spend the majority of that time with us here in the centre with a small uh, work placement of a number of weeks with, with an employer. And apprenticeship, again, is of a similar high touch where they will spend in the initial six months of the um, of their apprenticeship up to four days with us and then one day with the employer. And then that gradually tapers off over the next 18 months where they will spend less time with us, but more time with the employer. But over that 42-year uh, period, they still will have a strong connection here with, with, with the centre. And uh, obviously, part of that then... Uh, while they will get obviously a lot of hands-on training, high-quality training, and so forth, there are other elements to that engagement in terms of mentorship and, I suppose, advice and so and, and so forth, in order to you know help them navigate through that um, apprenticeship period. So, of course. Um having a, a facility to be able to demonstrate uh, and, you know, get your hands dirty for for want of a, a better term with the, all this new equipment, with all this new technology is essential. So what kind of facilities do you have in place at the moment? So at the, at the moment, actually, the, the, the centre is not physically open. Um, and I think, as I've, I've mentioned already, we're actually engaged in a, in a significant building project where we're actually re, uh, reconfiguring the internal spaces of the building uh, to uh, set up the various training rooms and classrooms and, and, and so forth. Um, 
However, when we are finished, which will be towards the back end of, of this year, um, we will have a a significant set of capabilities available within the centre. So, for example, we will have a robotics training lab where we will have actually over 30 um, different types of robots from educational cells to cobotic cells to um, uh, <clears throat> Milling, uh, milling cells and so forth. We will also have robotic welding cells uh, and uh, and so forth. We will also have a fully featured precision, precision engineering workshop where we will have um, state-of-the-art uh, vertical, uh, sorry, horizontal CNC machines, precision metrology, uh, CAD labs with with with, with, the, with those particular pieces of equipment, a fully featured um, welding workshop, um, and again that that connects then to our our uh, robotic welding cells, engineering workshops, a makerspace as well, where we'll have a wide range of 3D printers, um, laser cutters, etchers, um, and, and so forth. Um, we will also have a dedicated room for um, industrial control, so uh, PLC programming, uh, connection of sensors, electro-pneumatics, motor control, and, 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 and so forth. And then we'll also have a number of CAD labs uh, for design, uh, <clears throat> whether it be that for, for, tr for 3D printing or um, uh, CAD in terms of design of, uh, of uh, engineering pieces and, uh, and and so forth. And we also will have, uh, which will be very interesting, is that we will have an industry 4.0 training line as well. So this is a, a modular training line that represents the, sort of the standard industry operations that you find in a typical manufacturing environment. So packaging, filling, labeling. Uh, we'll also integrate vision systems. Uh, we'll also have control systems. Um, and also condemn with a fully featured software stack with a manufacturing execution system uh, for control of the line. The to publish data off that line into the cloud and then to apply data-orientated use cases with the application of machine learning and AI, and AI to deliver things like predictive maintenance, uh, equipment efficiency, and, and so forth. So a really interesting and fascinating capability and I think will you know, offer a huge amount of value in terms of the types of training uh, and education opportunity that will be available within the centre. So looking in terms of uh, a little bit of futurology on your part, because uh, Industry 4.0, is it's by definition, it's not going to be an absolute term. There there will be an Industry 5.0 uh, along the line. I imagine we're going to see a lot more integration of blended reality, particularly when it comes to uh, equipment maintenance. So to what extent does futurology play a part in what you'll be doing at the centre? It actually plays a uh, um a huge part of what, of what we do because essentially as a centre of excellence um, we need to be at the cutting edge in terms of technology and equipment in order to provide you know <clears throat> the cutting edge skills in the la in, in the latest technologies so for example we will uh, we are will be using technologies such as uh, augmented reality and, vir and virtual reality as part of our training equipment delivery so a good example is that we've made a significant investment in virtual reality welding um, and one of the key advantages there is that it allows a novice to, I suppose, become proficient in a, in, in a much shorter time, time frame. So, for example, the, um, it allows the, the, <clears throat> the learner to learn that basic muscle memory that is a requirement for um, welding and also to have 
real-time inbuilt assessment into how they are performing the uh, the welding exercises and allow them to also be able to configure the welder and, and, and so forth. And to do that in a completely safe environment and one that's also environmentally friendly. So there's no emission of noxious gases, there's no wasted materials and, and so forth. And that allows us, as I say, to expedite that learning experience and then we can then quickly graduate uh, the person then onto traditional MIG and hands-on uh, welding and then migrate them then onto uh, robotic, uh, ro- robotic welding. Um, and again, we also are developing virtual reality training in the areas of robotics and, and so forth. And again, it's about increasing the proficiency and the speed of proficiency with, with, the, with, with the learner. Also, I suppose with the application of virtual reality and, and AR, it's really about gamification of training, which appeals pati- particularly to younger cohorts coming into the industry. It's what they're used to. You know, they're, they're, you know, <clears throat> they're familiar with their iPads and their Android pads and their smartphones and so forth. It's an environment and technologies that they're, you know, used to and, uh, and react and react well to. However, I would say about some of the, uh, these type of technology, AR and VR and so forth, they're fantastic training tools. However, it's also a key requirement to get hands-on with the actual real equipment as well. And I often use the analogy that we train airline pilots on simulators, but we don't qualify them until they actually can demonstrate that they can actually fly the real thing. And again, I think that's that, that that's very relevant in the context of the training that w- that we do is that we use the, the tools in the appropriate manner, but it's also about getting hands-on with the real thing in order to embed and uh, enforce those hands-on skills so that when they go back to their employers or go, or or go out and seek employment, that they really have those tangible, valuable skills that employers want and need in order to um, you know develop their their business. Yes, because there there's still no substitute for being able to, you know, smell when something is wrong, to, to gauge whenever the the weight of something is is inaccurate uh, yes. or things like that. That you know, with with the training tools you can engage the intellect and develop that muscle memory, but the, the deep appreciation comes with, you know, uh, being in the field. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, but, uh, and again, it's also, I suppose, the, the use of technology. And we have also, beyond sort of VR and those sort of things, we've also invested heavily in e learning technologies in terms of learning management systems and, and so forth. And again, they play an important um, part of our delivery uh, mechanism because we are all you know, very invested now in work-life balance and, you know, the ability to learn using, you know, different learning modalities and to engage in learning in a manner that, you know, we can build into our Work, uh, into into our working life and also accommodate family life and 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 so forth. So it's about being a flexible delivery. It's about online delivery. It's about blended delivery and um, nighttime delivery and so forth. So we don't have a fixed delivery model. We embrace all modalities of delivery to try and you know provide that flexibility for our for our learners. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Dr. Michael McGrath from the Advanced Manufacturing Training Centre of Excellence. If you want to find out more about the centre, you can visit their website at amtce.ie. And of course, that uh, website address in the show notes on your phone right now. That's it for our show for this week. Do remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. Or indeed, listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1. 
extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks as always for listening, and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.